This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, I am not going to question your opinions. I am not going to meddle with your belief. I am not going to dictate to you mine. All that I say is, examine, inquire, look into the nature of things, search out the ground of your opinions, the for and the against. Know why you believe, understand what you believe, and possess a reason for the faith that is in you. End quote. Those are the words of Scottish lecturer and writer Francis Wright, known commonly as Fanny Wright. Fanny Wright was born September 6th, 1795, in Dundee, Scotland. She died December 13th, 1852, in Cincinnati, Ohio, at the age of 57. Fanny Wright was an outspoken critic of the social structure du jour, which, given the time period in which she was alive, should surprise none of us that it was not particularly equitable or even pretending to be equitable to any non-white male. And at the time, women did not receive equal access to education, birth control was verboten, and of course, slavery was nearly ubiquitous. Wright stood against many of those things. Wright was a strong abolitionist, feminist, and social reformer. She emigrated to the United States in 1825. The United States was, at this time, just still a handful of decades removed from her independence. John Quincy Adams was the president, and Thomas Jefferson was still alive, though not for long. He would die the following year in 1826. So in a lot of ways, the United States was a novelty. And Wright toured the country with a little someone named Marquis de Lafayette, and that name should sound familiar. He was instrumental in the colony's successful bid for freedom from England in the Revolutionary War. Fun side note, Marquis de Lafayette's full name is actually Marie-Joseph-Paul-Yves-Roche-Gilbert-du-Mautier-Marquis de Lafayette. That is a mouthful. Be thankful that you don't have to write that on the top of every paper that you ever write for all time. And Wright and Lafayette were friends until his death in 1834. And as I mentioned, Wright was far ahead of her time, espousing poignantly her beliefs in gender equality, liberal divorce laws, remember at this time women couldn't even initiate a divorce, and abolition of slavery. It would take some 40 years from the point that she moved to the United States permanently before there would be kind of a thing in the United States. But that didn't stop Wright from leaning hard into the idea. She believed so much so in the concept that she created a model farming community she intended to be an example of how slaves might earn their freedom. She did this in Indiana on about 320 acres that she called Neshoba. Neshoba was populated with 30 slaves whom Wright purchased with the intention of allowing them to work for pay to earn their freedom. She ultimately had plans to send the newly freed slaves to colonize areas outside the United States. And while the experiment lasted only five years, Wright did secure passage for and traveled with her slaves to Haiti so that they could live free lives there. And you can certainly identify, as I'm talking through this, the shortcomings of this endeavor. She bought slaves. She wanted to take them out of the United States after they earned their freedom, etc., etc. Neshoba, by today's standards was still well short of the mark of true emancipation, but, as usual, we have to consider the context. This was the day of wealthy white landowners who made their fortunes on the backs and souls 
of black men and women. And nearly all were cruel and had less than zero interest in giving up this cash cow on principle alone. Thus, what Wright set out to accomplish was nothing short of groundbreaking. It may seem simpler to us, in hindsight, to say, we'll just buy them and free them. But Wright was shrewd. She knew that this was not a compelling argument in that day, and that while she might be able to free 30 slaves, there were tens of thousands of more slaves that she wouldn't be able to purchase and set free, living on plantations all over the country and working in indentured servitude for the entirety of their lives. Because, as I mentioned before, if you were to truly just set all these slaves free, it would result in financial ruin for a large number of wealthy landowners at the time. Now, I don't feel bad for them, but if you were trying to make a compelling case that they should do this, it was not likely to be met with rounds of applause and standing ovations if you were to present it as pure emancipation. So what Wright did here is, is fairly shrewd in that she presented something that was a kind of middle ground between indentured servitude for the rest of your life, no means of securing your own freedom ever, forever and ever, amen, and boom, tomorrow they're all free. In hindsight, we would have loved to have seen the, the latter, but it just wasn't realistic. In fact, Wright had written a tract not long before this entitled, quote, a plan for the gradual abolition of slavery in the United States without danger of loss to the citizens of the South, end quote. It's quite a title, and everything that you need to know about it is right there, right? Clearly, she had a picture in her mind of how we might wean ourselves off of slavery. Now, in the meantime, irreparable harm could be done. People will die. People will um, perish, never having been free. People will die as a result of their work. They'll be whipped. They'll be beaten. All of the terrible things, rape and murder and all the things that go with slave ownership at the time. But her idea was at least we can get there eventually. At some point, this life will be better than it is now for black people, for people of color, for African Americans, people who were taken from their homes or were born into slavery and have lived it their entire lives. Clearly, she knew that a middling approach to this hot-button issue was the only plausible way to make some progress towards something so rooted in the 19th century in the United States and, and all over the world, really. So returning to today's quote, as I mentioned, Wright had some pretty forward-leaning views. I mean, it'd be amazing if you could take people back then who had these ideas and bring them to today. Can't tell if they'd be shocked in a good way or shocked in a bad way, but it'd be interesting nonetheless. And Wright frequently spoke out against religious doctrine and social inequality and other areas that she viewed as in need of reform, many of which have come to fruition since then. And, as was the custom at the time, and we've seen this in other quotes in other episodes during the 18th and 19th century, this was done often on a, quote, lecture circuit. Often someone with something to say or many things to say would create a series of lectures delivered on their travels many of whom would then create books of these lectures to sell. It was quite a lucrative little business model, if you could break into it. Most all of the well-known names from this time did some form of this lecture-to-book circuit, so this was not uncommon. Today's quote comes from just such a series of lectures delivered by Wright around 1829. The series was entitled, A Course of Popular Lectures, and today's quote comes from the third in the series, titled, Of the More Important Divisions and Essential Parts of Knowledge. And let me remind you of the quote here briefly, and then we'll examine it further. Quote, I am not going to question your opinions. 
I am not going to meddle with your belief. I am not going to dictate to you mine. All that I say is, examine, inquire, look into the nature of things, search out the ground of your opinions, the for and the against, know why you believe, understand what you believe, and possess a reason for the faith that is in you. End quote. I mean, that's pretty good, right? I, I think so. And I didn't intend it this way, but this quote meshes nicely with last week's quote by Thomas Stoppard. Separated by more than 150 years, they actually complement each other quite well. Stoppard speaks on the importance of words and how they can be used to nudge the world in a positive direction. And Wright is also talking about change, but the type that occurs internally through introspection and inquiry into the foundation of our beliefs. And Wright is being critical of the church here. Immediately following this quote, she cast aspersions upon spiritual teachers for discouraging inquiry, forbidding certain books, and avoiding listening to certain people. And imagine a woman who, at this point, is not even 35 years old, delivering this lecture before thousands of people during the year 1829. She pisses a lot of people off with words like this. And I'm sure she knew it, and I'm sure she cared very little. I mean, how awesome is that? I've talked about it before, but as I stand here before you as a 37, recently 30, turned 37-year-old man, I can't help but think to myself how little I've done in comparison to some of the people who continually make their way onto this podcast. I need to start picking quotes from people who aren't nearly as accomplished, I guess. But anyway, the press, and naturally the church, did not approve of this type of speech. And you may even disagree with her approach to the church, and may have even, as I've been talking, formulated your rebuttal. And that's fine if that's your, your point of view. But the point, regardless of the target, is valid. And this should come as no surprise to you if you've been listening here for any length of time. I do, and I encourage you to regularly challenge your status quo. As Wright would say, to search out the ground of your opinions. Why do you believe what you believe? Relentless inquiry and validation is the only surefire way to arrive at the correct answer. In fact, I'll submit that given the wide array of positions on literally every topic out there. The first one, and perhaps the only one, you currently hold in your mind is almost certainly not entirely correct. And that should bother you. The world is rarely simple enough to figure out at first pass. Testing and retesting our ideas is how we progress both as individuals and as a society. If you've never adjusted your ideas, you're probably wrong. And nope, that's not Gandhi or Mandela or Mother Teresa, that's my words. If you've never adjusted your ideas, you're probably wrong. If you're truly interested in being the best version of yourself, if you embrace the idea of going to bed each night ever so slightly better than when you awoke and are committed to this concept day in and day out, Wright's words are exactly how you do it. And what Wright is also saying here is that she doesn't want to fight with you. She doesn't want to debate you down and force your mind to change. Again, as evidence of her deep understanding of the quagmire that that would be, she avoids it entirely. How? She puts the onus on us. She says, you examine. You inquire. You look into the nature of things. After all, no one, and I do mean no one, cares about or is impacted by what you think more than you. No one cares if you go to bed better at night or not than you. So our charge today, straight out of the 19th century, is to challenge our ideas. And of course, we've done this exercise before, but as I've said, this is a constant and unrelenting effort. Our understanding of the world is never perfect. 
can always be improved. And how we do that is through this process of examination. So, it's the holidays, the new year is right around the corner, and whether you're relaxing at home, or you're on the road or in the sky on the way to or from family, or if you're working right through the holidays, you have the opportunity and the charge right now to examine and maybe change your way of thinking. Or maybe not. So do it. And you may ask, well, how do I do this? How do I change my mind or how do I challenge my opinions? It's, it's, it's not terribly difficult. Try this. Search for an article from a reputable source, please, that presents an opposing view to yours. Right? Pick a topic for which you're very passionate and find an article that opposes that view from a reputable source. Or maybe order a book that makes you a little mad at either who's on the cover or the title of the book. Or you could initiate a discussion with someone that you know thinks differently on a topic than you do. The point is to test your opinions, to challenge your worldview, to challenge your perspectives so as to do one of two things. Either find out that you are way off base and then realize, oh, much like Elon Musk many episodes ago, I'm glad I don't think that way anymore. Or to realize, you know what? My foundation is pretty solid here. Maybe there's a little thing here or there I can tweak in the way I present this or the way I think about this, but I'm pretty close. Either way, testing your opinions is a valuable exercise. It's worth it, and we'll all be better for it. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe, this is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.